0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Let's Check In. I'm your host, Levine, and this podcast is all about mental health, psychology, life in general, and my journey to and through the clinical doctorate. Um, and so this week we're actually going to be talking about the clinical doctorate. Um, I know application season's coming up. Um, There isn't actually a date for when it's actually opening so far. As far as I've seen on the Clearinghouse, it's just says September. But I thought what I'll do is I'll kind of do like a mini... Okay, I say mini-series. It's not really a mini-series. I'll just kind of do a uh, little... Um, two part, <laughs> two part episode series on um, kind of what to do before you even apply, and and kind of applications in general. Because I know a lot of people will be kind of thinking about applying this year, which is great, and I'm so happy every time I hear that. Um, but it can be a bit confusing, and it can be a bit like nerve wracking to try and figure it all out. So. This is going to be the first of two episodes that I'm going to be doing on the application process. And this one will mainly just be around what to do before you even think about applying. And the second one will be on the actual application itself. Um, so what I did was I asked um, on my Instagram, so little break here for a bit of a plug you should follow me on instagram um it's at let's check in pod um and the reason why is because I do things like this so for example for this episode I did ask people um to ask me some questions they had about the applications or about the whole process and so I'm going to be answering some of those after um I've given a bit of information I did get more than I thought I would uh so I will be splitting it uh hopefully I answer everyone's question because I did not expect people to ask as many as they did so I'm gonna answer a few today and then I'm going to try and answer the rest in the next episode after. But hopefully your questions get answered. But if, if you do not hear an answer to your question at all, then please feel free to message me and I'll try and answer it that way. Um, But yeah, so that's why you should follow me on Instagram. So go ahead and check that out at Let's Check In Pod on Instagram. Also subscribe to wherever you're listening to this. <laughs> it helps as well because one thing I haven't told you all to do as well is leave a review if you like it, leave a review, because what it means is that um, the more people that review the podcast, the more it can be exposed. So like, there's some algorithm thing, I don't really know. But yeah, so leave a review if you can, um, just saying how you found it, or you could just like put the stars thingy. But yeah, that's really helpful as well. So let's just go straight into it. Clearing house. So the first thing you need to know is clearinghouse so it's not like uh, clearing for UCAS this is a dedicated website run by Leeds the University of Leeds um, but it is not affiliated with the University of Leeds so again another bit of a confusion thing and um, clearinghouse is basically like the clinical psychology doctorate version of UCAS. So it's solely um, a portal used to apply for um, yeah the doctorate. And so what you need to do, the first, first, first thing you need to do is find yourself on that website because it has so much information and um, so much accurate information as well because sometimes you can get things off of um, other places and it's a bit outdated but the Leeds House website is always updated with the newest information so that's the number one thing you need to do before applying go on that website and look through it and so the process of application is, is a quite a long one and um, so the first thing you would do is, is look at that um website and it has like a section that says dates to remember Um, so the application aren't actually open yet it says it's open in September but there isn't really a day but normally it's like mid to late September and then um, normally the applications close early oh well no the applications close um, for early entry on the 30th or 31st of october sometime around the end of october and that's just if you want to save the 10 pounds on the application fee but the actual applications don't end until like late november i would go on the website again like i said just check because every year the dates are going to be different so just make sure you, you look on there but normally you've got until the end of november to get your application in the end of october if you want to save on the application fee and so one thing I would say is check the dates um to remember the date the important dates because you don't want to miss any of the deadlines because it is really important. There's not really like wiggle room. So if you miss it, you kind of do miss it. Go on um the Leeds Clearing House, check out the dates to remember, and then also while you're there, do your research. So a lot of the things that a lot of the questions, I'm gonna get to them, that people normally have asks me not necessarily ones on the Instagram post but just in general is about like courses and so what do I need do I have enough experience do I have enough research Um, do I need to publish something and all of those things and the best way to find out is through the Clearinghouse website because each university has their own little um, (laughs) twists I guess on the application process so the, okay, so the strange thing is there is technically a trainee um, clinical psychologist job description, personal spec, right? And it does say what you need and, you know, it's got very generic um, things. However, what you'll find is when you go on the Clearinghouse website and you look at each university in um, individually, they will have differences. So for example, um, some universities will say things like, uh, you need a, a two one, but they won't specify what that grade actually means. Like, is that a two one as in 65, 66, 67? Whereas some universities might specifically say a high two one, which is 67% and above, right? So the difference between that, you know, it's, it's just a couple percentage, but the difference between that and another university that doesn't require that is quite big because if you don't have 67 percent, for example as your um, overall grade um then you won't meet the minimum of criteria and you won't get a place so or not if in a place but you won't even be invited to interview or get off the shortlisting um list so it is really important to look through that i actually looked just to double check a few things and i realized like for example king's university so IOPPN, they say you need six months um, full-time equivalent work experience, whereas most of the other ones, I just picked a random one, for example, it's so like Royal Holloway, it says one year. So it is really important to look at that because, for example, say you had um, only six months of full-time Um, work experience you may be able to apply for IOPPN so that's King's whereas for Royal Holloway you wouldn't so it's just really about looking through each individual course because there are variations and that is really important to check because that is part of the minimum requirements in order to make it off the shortlisting and so yeah Um, another thing to bear in mind as well is that When you're going to apply for the course, you need two references. So one is an academic reference, and the other one is like a personal reference. It's it's kind of like someone that you've worked with. Um, So lucky it could be a manager. It could be um, most of the times people think you need a clinical psychologist which is not actually true so i didn't actually have a clinical psychologist as my reference but the academic one definitely needs to be someone that you've done either your undergrad um with or your master's if you've done a master's or even a phd and that could and i know some people are often worried about whether if um an undergrad reference for the academic reference is good enough if they've left uni a long time ago but it's still good it's fine it doesn't matter about how long ago you've left university obviously if you've done something in between then um, researchy based then yeah it's probably best to use them but it is better to kind of use them than like the undergrad ones and none at all because it is necessary you need an academic reference with the personal reference like I said it doesn't have to be a clinical psychologist I would really encourage you to use someone that knows you well so if it is that you happen to have a clinical psychologist who um, works in your service, but you don't really know them that well, but you know you work really, really well um, and you're supervised by like a counsellor, for example, uh, for, example uh, <laughs> for example, then I would definitely use a counsellor, um, 100%, because even though necessarily they're not a clinical psychologist, they would have a better working relationship with you and they would understand your shortcomings and maybe even your strengths a lot more than someone who doesn't work with you on that kind of, um, yeah, in that depth. So, yeah, that's another thing. Just bear in mind your references. And also, with, with references, it's best to probably contact them before you start applying, just to give them a the heads up that you are doing this because, especially, like, the academic ones, sometimes they get really, really busy. I guess the, the personal ones or, like, the... Um, The ones that you kind of will get from your service if you're working in a service, you can kind of chase them up when you see them at work. But with the academic ones, if you're not working closely with them, sometimes that can cause a bit of a delay. So I would really 100% recommend emailing them, you know, sending them a quick message just saying, hey... I'm thinking about applying for the doctorate this year. Would you be able to supply me with a reference? Because if they're not able to, and that holds up the that holds up the um time, then it might mean that you were not able to apply this year. So that's that's just one thing to also um bear in mind. Okay, so that's number two. Number three. Okay, so. Uh I've I've gone through this before. I made the Instagram post um but I want to just reiterate this because it's really important to think about as well. But is it just going to be an application or is there also going to be a pre-selection test? This is really important as well because not only is it gonna be harder to, if we're gonna be honest, revise for those pre-selection tests. Uh, So those are normally like multiple choice um, research questions or situational judgment tests or nonverbal reasoning or it might be an essay that you have to write or... Um, Some form of um, psychometric test, maybe. But if you're not able to revise for those beforehand um, because you're working full-time, or maybe you're working multiple jobs or you've got loads of responsibilities, it might be worth thinking, before you even apply to universities that have those requirements, just thinking about whether you actually would be able to do well or perform on them, because a lot of them are based on you being in a certain percentile before getting offered an interview. So, say, for example... Um, I'll just use my experience so for Salomons the I don't know what the percentile was but um, I know that you had to be in a certain percentile to be offered an interview and I knew that I would probably do better at Um, If I kind of applied myself to studying for those pre-selection exams than if I just went straight off the application, just because I know that my experience is kind of limited to a certain area. I'm not saying you have to have loads of experience in loads of different areas, but mine's mainly been with adults and it's mainly been in like an IAP service. So I thought, okay, maybe I would have a better shot if I applied with um, universities that have those requirements, pre-selection exams. So that's what made, that was a big motivator for me, which meant that I actually had to carve carve out a lot of time to revise for those exams, especially first year round. Um, So just bear that in mind because it, it does mean that you will have to kind of maybe think about that in terms of scheduling as well. Final thing I'm going to say before I get into the questions, because there are a lot of questions, is looking at the um, alternative handbook. So this is something you can download for free from the BPS website. And what it is, is basically like, an alternative handbook I don't know it's basically like a review of the courses but from the perspective of the students that are studying there obviously bear in mind there's probably going to be like 30 people that answered the surveys so it's going to be very limited in terms of um, viewpoints but it was always really helpful to kind of look at because for example I knew I'm not the best at research <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Me and SPSS are not friends, um, so I just knew that. Like when it comes to how strongly I feel about research, it probably isn't best if I go to a university that's very strong on producing stellar. Re- I'm not saying that Salamanca isn't, but I'm saying like um, a university that's not so gung ho <laughs> on research. So, for example, you can tell this by um, the criteria in the on the Clearinghouse. Um, but, you know, I knew that was something for me that I, I wouldn't maybe be able to live up to or, um, yeah, achieve in, in this short space of time. I do have a publication, but it's not. Yeah, anyway, let's not even get into it. But yeah, I do have a publication, but I felt like the type of publication or the type of um, research experience I would need probably wouldn't cut it with the type of people that would apply. So that's why I thought, OK, which universities are an equal mix of both or um, which universities tend to have a lot more teaching on like clinical skills and things like that so if you look on the alternative handbook you can see how it's split Um, so some people say oh it's equal they kind of um, focus on research and clinical stuff or some people will say actually it's more skewed towards the research and so for me I knew okay (laughs) maybe that's not going to be for me because I know how I am I'm not the best I'm not saying that you can't learn of course you can and that's the whole point of the doctorate is to in all areas but I just knew in terms of like success rates for me I just thought maybe not looking on there gives you a good um idea of what to expect and then it also gives you um information about whether there's going to be exams or is it um mainly coursework uh, so it's just a good way to kind of get a feel of the university um, and what they're expecting from you. And so what I'm going to do now is answer some of the questions that was asked uh, via the um, Instagram poll. It was not even a poll, but you know what I mean. OK, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of, like I said, a lot of things that were asked. Like multiple times which I feel like is kind of an indication that a lot of people don't know the same thing which is really good actually because then hopefully today I'll answer a few of those but the first one I'm going to go f- um, for is so this question says how long from application submission to starting the course if it's a-? okay so I think this means how long is the process from the moment you start the application until the moment you're uh, starting the course that's if you're accepted so realistically it's about a year <laughs> so yeah like I said applications are open normally in September and then you'll start the course in September so it's a year-long process which is why it's so emotionally draining uh, because you're just waiting around quite a lot well like there's big gaps in between each part or, or each step of the process so from application like the first application opening so september um up until they close which is like november end of november then you have a bit of a break because then your references need to be in by i think it's december january time don't quote me (laughs) that's why i said go on the website (laughs) because i don't know the dates change but yeah so it's around that time and then from then you would need to wait for a bit because then you have to let them shortlist you and all of that stuff And then normally you'd get, if you are um, applying for university with um, pre-selection exams, then normally you'll get an invitation to those around February. So bear in mind, so this was September, you would have first opened up to apply. And then it's only February, you're hearing next about the next step. Um, So then you'll do those exams and then you'll probably wait a couple months and then maybe April, May time, if you're successful, you'll get an interview. So again, that's a long time. Then maybe after that, if you're successful after the interview, um, then you'll be offered a place. And then that's normally around the end of May. Yeah, normally they get back to you within like a couple of weeks. This year was different because of COVID. But yeah, so it is a long process. And then you wouldn't actually start until September the following year. So yeah, that's something to bear in mind. Okay, so second question was, when should you start? This is from the same person. So when should you start applying? Um, when applications open. So I don't know if this means in terms of when should you start applying for the... Actually, okay, so this could be answered two ways. You can start applying in September when the course application is open. Or if it means when should you start in terms of experience, then that would also depend on whether you meet the criteria based on each university's um, specifications, I guess. So if you go on Clearing House. And look at the universities that you're interested in. Then what you can see is whether you need like a two one, a high two one, whether you need a year of experience, and and also check that it says um, whether it's paid as well or voluntary. That's another thing. And it normally, if they're saying like NHS experience or non NHS, so that's if you meet all those kind of um, criteria and you feel personally ready, then yeah should start applying um okay another oh this is a okay so one what's one thing you wish you knew about applications that you didn't hmm really good question um one thing I wish I knew I think the number one thing would probably be how time consuming it is so it is a long process so from the beginning of the application season to the end, I wish I knew how long it would be <laughs> because I think I kind of underestimated that waiting period. It's a lot of... Well, for me, it was a lot of anxiety thinking, oh, my gosh, am I going to get a letter? Am I going to get an email? Like, when are they going to tell me the next step? Blah, blah, blah. So that's one more thing I wish I knew. Um, It says one, so I'm not... But I do have another one. I'll just give you another one for free. <laughs> um, so the second thing I think I wish I knew was about the personal statements uh just a bit like if I had practiced them before so I think I've said this before I've applied twice the second time I got on the first time round I had no framework to work from like I literally just took one of my applications that I used to apply for jobs and then I tweaked it and then I asked my um, mentor at the time to help me but I, I didn't know how to frame it or anything like that. Um, I just kind of gathered information online. But I really wish I had more information about actually how to structure it. Thank the Lord <laughs> that I had my mentor because I really didn't know. So that's one thing I wish I knew about um, beforehand. But it worked out, so I guess that's actually fine. So, yep. Okay, another... Oh, I'm just trying to pick ones that I think most people haven't already up let me just see I'm just scrolling okay this is a good one how do I make myself stand out really good question um so this is actually really important because I feel like a lot of people who apply for this doctorate probably have the same sort of path um so, you know, did undergrad psychology, um did a bit of work experience here and there, maybe an AP role, a healthcare assistant role, maybe even a research assistant post, um, would have maybe done a bit of volunteering at like a mental health support line or you know, that kind of I'm not saying it's bad, but it's it's very similar. And so I'm assuming that you mean how do you make yourself stand out from those sort of typical pathways Um, and so if that's the question that you're asking I would say use the section so I'm going to talk about this more in my next episode about applications but there's a section that talks about other interests I can't remember the title right now uh, but I'll talk actually I'll come back to this question that's Next episode, um, and give a bit more explanation. But there is a section that talks about um, other things that you're interested in. So I remember talking about like learning to DJ. <laughs> I talked about um, so like I talked about the fact that I um, really like music and I play guitar and like I just spoke about I like travelling and then I've been South Africa and like all over the place, Thailand. So I was just literally just filling loads of things in there about like things that are unique to me, um, and also. A huge thing I would recommend if you're from a BAME, <clears throat> well, if you're from a BAME background um, and you feel as though your experience is unique, definitely put that in. Um, I remember f- this is a whole episode, but I remember for ages, I wouldn't feel comfortable like putting down whether... I was, I was just deliberating whether I should put down whether I'm, I'm black or if I should put down that I'm a Christian. Like, there was so much um, kind of anxiety around it because I just didn't know, oh, my gosh, what if they, like, don't want to have, like, a black woman? I don't know, just so many things. You know, you kind of just... Um, make things in your head to be bigger than what maybe they are. I'm not saying that there isn't discrimination, but um, within the process, as far as I'm aware, there isn't. Um, it's kind of like blind, so when they um, look for your applications. But yeah, in terms of standing out, if you are from a BAME um, background, also writing that, um, also talking about the fact what you bring in terms of diversity, what you bring in terms of experience, culture. Um, if you're from a background where, for example, um, you didn't grow up in the UK, whatever it is that makes you different, whether you've had an interesting life experience, um, whatever it is, I would put those things down or reflect on those. Um, because like I said, it- it does tend to be a very similar route people take. Or, for example, if you didn't do psychology as your first degree, maybe talking about why that kind of shift happened for you, um, just talking about whatever it is that makes you different. And if you really cannot think of anything, which I'm sure there definitely is, everyone's got something unique about them, then you can talk about um, things you like to do. Like, for example, I said the kind of weird... I'm, I'm a person that's been known for, like, I pick up loads of things. So I picked up, like, jewellery-making and then I was like, nah, it was like for me. Then the other day I was like, I want to learn to roll a blade. I still haven't bought a roll blade. Like I'm a, I'm a bit of one of those people. So maybe it could be talking about those sorts of experiences and stuff that you've had, you know, if you had a near life, <laughs> near death experience, I don't know. Um, but yeah, just kind of thinking about the things that you don't think other people would have and maybe even things you don't think are special, but still writing those down. Um. Okay. Thinking about another question. All right, so can you please talk about the publication dissemination question? Thank you. Okay, so hmm, this one is tricky because, like I said, I technically have a publication. <laughs> um, so I have a publication that I co-wrote with uh, some of my uh, co- course mates um, during my master's. And it's a Quatrin... What's call it called again? A Aquatrian systematic review protocol. So, if you know, it's not like a big deal. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a publication, but it's not like anything hard hitting. This isn't the Lancet. This isn't you know. Um. So, I mean, if you're asking me about, um, I don't. If you I don't know if the question asking me about like, is it necessary? Because it's just as can you please talk about publication dissemination questions? Okay. So you don't. It's not necessary. Some. Um, universities just will say research experience, it won't specify. If it does specify and say you need to have a publication, then that's different. Dissemination just means um, have you... Uh how does it say dissemination just means how have you spread your research so have you um kind of given a presentation at a conference do you have a poster that could be um, a form of dissemination disseminating research um a publication is not always necessary it could sometimes um a lot of people have given their posters at conferences as um what's it called evidence of of that as well so i know that's definitely necessary that's also an option uh what else could I say yeah I just think what I'm going to do is I'm going to message whoever you are you know who you are I'm going to message you back and I'm just going to ask you to clarify that question a bit more and then I'll talk about it in the next episode um because I just I'm not sure exactly what you mean um I'll just do one more question because I'm aware that I've got a few and I'm not sure if this will be if I'll be able to get through a lot of them today so okay this is a good one once you've submitted references do you need to do it again for the next year no if it's the same referee you don't need to which is great because you can just send them an email just like hey heads up i'm going to be applying again can you just reuse your one from last year pretty much um i was really really fortunate that my Academic reference, um, he was just like, yeah, whatever. I don't think he even emailed me back. I just got an email from Clearinghouse saying, yeah, your academic reference is in. So he was pretty chilled. And then my clinical reference um, was from uh, my old supervisor at my job. So we actually sat down and we spoke about the reference together and she kind of um, helped... Well, I didn't help her write it, but she kind of helped me. Well, I helped her understand what it was that they were looking for because she wasn't a clinical psychologist. So um, in terms of writing out the application, some of the things that maybe they might ask you, Um, what arts referees it might be kind of more understood if if you have done the course before yeah the references can be reused um okay what I'll do is I'll end it there oh I feel a bit bad now I haven't answered all of them but um what I'll do is I'll come back to some of these next week um next episode but in the meantime thank you so much for listening today if you want to you can go back and listen to my other episodes about work experience and stuff as well just to kind of gauge whether you think your work experience is um, enough because then maybe you'll hear that I didn't have like I said I didn't have a wide breadth of experience I didn't work in loads of different services and all of that but I did have solid experience in IAPT which really helped me um, so yeah if you want to listen to those episodes i think it's episode three where i talk about that um if you want to hear some of the other episodes about different um places so i've got episodes on IAT as well that's another good one to listen to if you want a, a bit of an insight into that but yeah you can go back and re-listen on whatever you listen on so if that's apple Podcasts, spotify anchor whatever go ahead and remember to subscribe to rate and yeah i'll speak to you all soon Bye.